Welcome to Affect Autism. This week we have with us Dr. Kathy Platzman. She is a developmental and clinical psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. She is also a DIR expert training leader. That is the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model of Dr. Stanley Greenspan. And we are talking today about regulation, which is the first developmental capacity in the DIR model. We're talking about how a caregiver's regulation affects a child's regulation. Welcome, Dr. Platzman. Thank you very much, Daria. It's good to be here, and it's good to uh, be involved in any way, shape, and form with affect autism. It's a great, it's a great place, and it's a great thing that you're doing. So, very, very honored to be here with you today. Thank you very much. So, um, is it fair to say that you've been doing this for a long time? Yeah, that is most fair to say. I've been a psychologist um, since. Oh my, I graduated from college in 1973, and I started practicing psychology in 1994, and before that I was doing research in psychology, so I've been at it for a good long time. <laughs> and um, you worked with Dr. Stanley Greenspan himself, didn't you? Yes, I knew him, and um, I didn't know him as well as many colleagues of mine knew him, but actually I met Dr. Greenspan when I was in graduate school. I was working with Selma Freiberg uh, at the University of Michigan, and Stanley came by a lot. So I got to know him as that guy that I could serve coffee to as a research assistant. Uh, <laughs> and then later on, of course, met him when I started doing DIR work, which was really since the very beginning of my clinical career. That's great. So we feel very lucky to have your expertise <laughs> to discuss and this topic today. So, um, you know, a lot of parents get into uh, this world when their child gets a diagnosis and they learn about floor time and they do floor time and it takes a while before you really understand the model and understand the different developmental capacities that Dr. Greenspan and Dr. Weeder described in Engaging Autism, the book Engaging Autism, that the children go through these different developmental capacities that for some reason they didn't go through the way neurotypical children typically go through before they reach kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to support our children and the first capacity that we're concerned with is regulation. Are they in a shared world with us? Are they attentive to us? Are they calm in order to be able to focus? Let's talk a little bit about what this first capacity is. Well. I love talking about this first capacity. Um, you know, really, the first thing as a psychologist, as a human being, really, I think, the first thing we wonder about when a new child is born is, our, is a regulation capacity. It's the thing we can assess almost the moment you're born, and it's the thing we can assess the moment you die. We are, over our lifetime, Everything that we experience is overlaid on this huge layer of being ability of your ability to stay calm and focused and alert while taking in information through every sense and while staying connected to people. And it was really Stanley Greenspan's brilliance that said really early in the in the late 1970s with his monograph about Piagetian processes that he said if you're not self-regulated 
or, or you can't be regulated with the help of somebody else, you're going to miss the boat in almost every single regard as a human being. Um, the other thing uh, that I think Stanley was the most eloquent at letting people know is that as a species, we are social. Everything about our nervous system is designed to help us stay in connection to people. So it's such a deep wired capacity that to be social, that it's similarly deep wired to stay regulated. Uh, when we're born, none of us self-regulate, by the way. Uh, we may look like we can self-regulate, but really we learned to self-regulate by being co-regulated. Again, we're a social species, so on our own, we never learn to do it. In fact, that's what a baby does. A baby cries, we pick the baby up, we calm him down. If we can't calm him down, we worry very much that something's going on here. So this idea to concentrate on self-regulation or co-regulation as the first developmental capacity, it's not, it's not like you can do it and then check it off your list. You're doing it all the time. It's the basis of everything you do. So when a child struggles or when a parent struggles in that regard and you help them, it's like you're helping everything. You're helping their ability to learn their ability to regulate, their ability to communicate, and their ability to reason and think. So it's the most important developmental capacity. Um, <clears throat> some people refer to those DIR capacities as a ladder, rungs on a ladder, and the first one is the ability to self-regulate. But think of it more as a wedding cake. It's a huge, huge platform over which every single thing we do as a human is built. So it's a pretty important capacity, Daria. Yeah, and I think of, um my son playing with his towers if he makes big building blocks of towers that if that big block on the bottom isn't the biggest one and the sturdiest one the, the tower tumbles over to you know to be to make a similar um example to your wedding cake um metaphor there right. and <clears throat> i mean this is something that parents of autistic children really struggle with the most i think is is the regulation because so much of the world is not designed for the autistic brain. And so something is always um, there that can set our children off at any moment due to sensory issues or, or otherwise. Um, we don't fully understand the autistic brain yet um, to understand why, why it happens, but we certainly know a lot about why it happens and are learning more all the time. Yeah. Um, what is a parent to do <laughs> when, when our children are dysregulated and some children can scream and cry for hours and, and the whole day long? Um, others just have little, uh, our son's regulation has improved so much over the past few years. You know, he, when he does get dysregulated now, I can quickly co-regulate him back to a calm state um, because I know him so well and he, he is now doing the back and forth long chains of, of you know, back and forth communication at, at thir the third and fourth capacity on that developmental ladder you spoke of. So mm -hmm. it, it's, but you know, I see some children mm -hmm. that, that aren't there yet. And you know, it's really challenging because when someone is dysregulated by screaming and crying, it's very stressful for everybody in the household or school oh, yeah. or wherever you are. Well, you said it. And there's also a social expectation that kids of a certain age should not freak out in public. 
And so, uh, you know, parents get whacked from both ends. They, they, they are honestly struggling to help their kid regulate. And as they understand from the DIR world, when they understand that capacity, they realize how important it is. So they're putting a great deal of pressure on themselves. Then you go to the grocery store and your kid has a meltdown and people are looking at you, you know, with that look. Like what's wrong with you? You aren't bringing that kid up right, you know, or you know the the classic thing that that uh, we always blame our in-laws for this, but it's like yeah, that he wouldn't have that problem if he came and stayed at my house for a weekend, you know. I I you know so so poor parents are caught right in the middle of that stress ball of them wanting so desperately to help their kid, but then there's the social pressure that they so desperately want their kid to take care of himself too. So you can get very judgmental. Um, towards your own child, even though you understand their individual differences, because you're so stressed yourself. You know your own. You you know how they say in an airplane, if, if there's a, a you know cabin pressure change, put the mask on yourself first before you help the kids. Well, you know that's a problem when you're in the grocery store putting the mask on yourself. How you calm yourself down, you know. So it, it's a double-edged sword. Parents get whacked from both ends. Really, you get you get judged by the public and you get totally challenged to do it at home and then you get your own regulation to worry about and not only that but parents like any anyone our personalities range you know on the from the spectrum of some people are naturally more anxious some people are naturally more calm and some people are able to change that going forward some people adapt more quickly than others and so um things that maybe really got under my skin a few years ago when i'd go in public with my son don't bother me as much now whereas maybe they might bother my husband more than they did before because our son is older or or vice versa um there you know <laughs> there's so many dynamic variables um well here's the deal daria i really think that anytime we have a big feeling we are just forget the spectrum for a moment. Just let's talk about people. What we do is go through the day, and we have ways we know to keep ourselves calm and alert. Um, there, there are basically a couple of ways that are not functioning very well, but in the short run, they function very well. One is, uh, let's just say, uh, let's just take a real typical thing. Your boss gives you a bad evaluation at work. You know, you're screwing up. Something like that's going wrong. You can have the ability to get aggressive. You can get sarcastic, or you can go take it. You can go rip the phone off the wall. That's an old analogy. Nobody has a phone on the wall these days. But you know, you can become aggressive with your words or your actions. Um, that's what road rage people are doing. They're taking a big feeling of frustration and taking it out on something. The other thing uh, is a very popular way, which is to self-comfort. You you go ahead and buy yourself an ice cream cone. You have a five-dollar cup of coffee. You deserve it. You've had a you've had a tough day, um, and and again in the short run those two those two solutions are okay. Um, you know, being a little sarcastic if you're if you're edgy with your words, people laugh. You know, it's okay. Um, but but the, the, then there's a third way that's very dysfunctional too, which is more dysfunctional in the short run, and that is to numb out, to just become numb. So the boss gives you a bad evaluation, you might not even remember, it just happened. You're just so upset by it, you actually numb yourself out. So the fourth way that we just deal with this as humans is to face the feeling, face the discomfort of I screwed up at work, 
or the discomfort of I have a boss that doesn't understand me and is not supportive. I'm going to face that and then I'm going to problem solve around it. That's the one we all wish we picked all the time, but most of us pick the others too. So the same thing is true with little kids. The same thing is true with people who are on the spectrum and are not on the spectrum, who have atypical, atypical neurology, whatever, neurotribe, whatever. We all deal with this regardless is how do you handle a big feeling? Do you ask for help in handling a big feeling? You know, you always, so, so, so we can look at, I forget what the question is now, but the whole deal of how you regulate yourself is what parents have to do. They have to find out about themselves, then they have to find out about their kid, and they have to help their kid use his or her solution to how you stay calm and alert and keep going. Um, some children uh, really like a physical release when they get upset. They need to jump on a trampoline. Some kids need to jump on a trampoline before they go to school every day or before grandma comes over for dinner or before, or before, or before. And so finding out what your kid's individual profile is as a parent is a tremendous challenge and a tremendous, you, you I think have told me literally that it is one of the most satisfying things to even begin to figure it out because now you can offer real help as opposed to just judgment in the grocery store. You can get help in the grocery store. Um, so yeah, that, that's why it, it's so important to the species, but also to kids on the spectrum, off the spectrum, and, and the parents as well. And let's get into um, the topic about how our own regulation affects our child's regulation um, because a lot of times parents may not even realize the stressful environment that they're creating with their own stress that yeah, that can affect it. the children's and um and it's tough because as parents we already feel guilty and responsible and we want to do everything right but we're human so we're not robots and we're not perfect all the time um, and can you think of different ways in which we yeah. can sort of um, keep a check on ourselves, uh, so that our regulation, our dysregulation especially, is not yeah. affecting our child? And also, how does our positive, what are, what are the benefits when our positive regulation or when we are able to stay regulated, how does that help our children? You know, I was looking, I was helping a, a client the other day with uh, uh, panic attacks, and um, I, I pulled out the standard, the standard um, um, list of things you can do to, to prevent panic attacks. So anybody that has had a panic attack, the, most, the thing they will tell you is, I never want to have another one of those things ever again as long as I live, and I'll do anything so I don't have another panic attack. And I was looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, this list of things you do to prevent it. And I looked at it from a panic attack point of view, but then as a DIR person, clinician, I looked at it and went, that's the list. That's the list on, on, on big, big, big categories to look at your ability to regulate yourself. yourself. And um, recalling them right now, they kind of fall into categories. Um, one is to be well rested, and, and again, I'm going to do these with uh, tongue in my uh, tongue in my cheek because it's like I'm talking now to parents of kids on the spectrum or kids who are doing four-time DIR or parents who are thinking of embracing this model, and it it just sounds magically easy. 
And every one of them, I'm almost like laughing because they're so devilishly difficult. But the first is to get enough rest. Should we laugh now or later? <laughs> I mean, you know, really. How, how I, many new parents of anybody with any developmental challenge get, you know, eight or nine hours, solid hours a night? Baloney. That's difficult. Not, not until my child was five and a half, and it certainly was not right. uninterrupted. Right, right. <laughs> and certainly with my kids, who I guess, in, if you put it in quotes, have typical neurologies, but they don't. But they were so dysregulated as kids, and, and they were four years apart. So I think it was 10 years that I didn't sleep well. <laughs> and, and, you know, really, 10 years where I just couldn't take a guarantee in eight hours, that was quality. And, and, and my husband, and I, I wasn't alone. You know, my husband and I could even share it. So, and these were quote typical kids. It was just very strange. So get enough rest. Oh, here's another one people will be shocked by. Eat well, make sure you hydrate and eat well. Well, you know, it really does help you stay calm if you have good nutrition. Again, I mean, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a colleague who's also a parent who says there were years that all the food that I put in my mouth was on a stick. If it was a popsicle and I could hold it in a stick, I ate it. If, if you know, if they, if, if corn dogs, you go on and on and on. So again, parents are really up against it. Um, uh, how to support parents who are trying to support their children is through rest, letting them rest, letting them eat, and let, letting them exercise, letting them have a physical outlet. So much, so easy to say. Wasn't that easy to say? Almost impossible to do. So the first thing I urge parents to do is to realize what boat you're in, what an absurd boat you're in. Well, you know exactly, it's like talking to someone who loses weight or wants to lose weight. They know that you have to, oh, what, eat less and exercise more? That's not rocket science, but it is almost impossible to do. The extent to which your habits, your, your sleeping and eating patterns are hab habit formed and the extent to which you can change the habits is the extent of change we ask you to do no more because it's absurd to ask you to do the impossible. But if I see someone just as easily uh, and would enjoy going out for a walk in the evening as opposed to watching TV, of course change that habit. That one is under your control. So the acknowledgement of what is under your control and what is not under your control or What's under semi-control is one of the most important gifts you can give yourself as a parent because then what can you do? You can let yourself off the hook. You can quit blaming yourself that you're not eating correctly. Quit blaming yourself that you didn't get a rest. Quit blaming yourself that you, you bought, a, you bought a, a pass to a gym and you never take advantage of it. Leave that guilt behind you. That guilt is just making the present moment horrible. And it's nothing you can do about it, so know what boat you're in. Realize it, embrace it, love it. Say, I am in the boat that doesn't eat well, sleep well, and I don't get enough exercise. Woohoo! You'll be amazed how much stress leaves you when you quit judging yourself of what you should be doing. You can only do what you could, can do, not what you can't do. So realize what you can do and do it. And just enjoy the, the little piece, the little pop of positive momentum that might give you. And otherwise you can get on with it. it it's the guilt of what we should do that drives us bananas. And so, so helping, helping figure out what you can and can't do is a gift for a parent on the spectrum. And again, DIR makes parent, a parents a huge focus of what we do. They're the keystone and cornerstone of everything we do. And so knowing the position of importance that we have in our children's lives, 
and, and being and being honored for that by the DIR clinicians it is in a funny way another double-edged sword. You're so important, no pressure, but you're the most important kid person in your kid's life, by the way, no pressure. You make or break anything, no pressure. There's tons of pressure with that. There's tons of support that can come with it too. Does that help? Does that it does, and, and that's um, a kind of a more big picture. Let's zoom in to a more um, smaller picture now where it's, it's um, your child just come home, comes home from school and you're tired, it's the end of the day and a big meltdown ensues. How does a parent's regulation in that moment affect the child? I would say 99 to 100%. It's spooky almost, isn't it? I mean, parents, of, parents in general, you can get so spooky because you, you think you're in, you know you're in a bad mood, you think you're covering it, you know you're tired, you think you're covering it, and the kid scopes you out. The kid knows my mom is not totally right there. My mom, you know, and they've had a hard day or maybe they're under stress. So that's why it's called hell hour, right? I mean, that 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. when everybody's home and needing to let their hair down and recover. So, so yeah, so your kids come home from school, a huge meltdown is happening and you are in no way capable of being your best self. So what's your question, Target? <laughs> what are you supposed to so, do? So, oh. yeah, I mean, um, I one thing that I've heard that is helpful, but I'd like to hear more, is yeah. the developmental psychologist in Vancouver, Dr. Gordon Neufeld says, um, knowing the developmental approach over a behavioral approach and having the tools and strategies in your pocket yes. will help you in the moments where you're not your best because when you're right. best anybody can do the best but it's exactly. in those moments where you're stressed and you're not your best that you're just going to go for what's habitual like i told you not to do that or if you and don't do this script. you're exactly. get you can't have your ipad or whatever it is you resort to those behavioral threats and tricks which yep. harm the relationship um as opposed to a developmental approach of saying i see you're so frustrated let me help you get that frustration out um, okay yeah so a, a couple of things. There, there, there are three steps I think involved in using that DIR approach with a meltdown, and and I'll go over those in a moment. But before then, I do want to say that um, there's a wonderful book called No More Meltdowns by Jeb Be Jeb ba Baker. I think it's Baker. What I'm confused is it Jed or Jeb? I think it's Jeb Baker. And he talks a lot about regulation in that book. And it's not DIR in focus, but he has a couple of beautiful little gems in there. One is, uh, sounds more behavioral, and that is that a meltdown can have four causes. And in, in one of them, and, and, and again, we apply this to the child, but we can also apply it to why we were in meltdown mode too, or, or you know, latent meltdown mode. We were ready for it. Um, the four real reasons that a meltdown can happen is that we need something now. We lack the patience to wait. And again, remember, this is the hell hour. You've come home. You're ready to let your hair down. You need a, you need a drink. You need a snack. You need a rest. You need to shut the world out. Um, 
So, so lacking the patience before you get what you need is a real cause for a meltdown. And it's important because as you apply the DIR kind of um, uh, prescription for this, you have to, it's good to know what's causing it because you know how to comfort somebody. So, so lack of patience is one. Um, sometimes what you're asked to do is something you are incapable of. So if you tell me as a child, you've got to tie your shoes before you come in to get a snack and you know relax, and I can't tie my shoes quickly, automatically, easily, uh, that can cause a meltdown. You're just asking me to do what you can't do too easily. Another reason for a meltdown is that your self-image is involved, and this is where parents can get horrified at themselves for not having the patience to be the best parents. You know, so somehow that meltdown is making you feel like a bad parent. <coughs> um, and another thing is that just some people will melt down just because they really need a hug. They just really need attention, and they don't care how they're going to get it. You know, so so again, taking a quick moment to say. When I have a bad day, it's because I lack patience. When I am ready to have a meltdown, it's because somebody's asking me, you know, that, that would be my poor husband would, would, would cause me meltdowns because I would be at my wit's end and he'd come home and say, I just want to check, we paid the gas bill, didn't we? You know, the poor guy's trying to help me. Say or no, he asked it at the wrong moment and made my self-image very bad. Okay, but now back to DIR. The best thing you can do to help yourself or your child or anybody during a, a meltdown moment is the following three steps and do them with patience and compassion and unconditional positive self-regard and friendship towards yourself. You're going to let yourself do this because everybody, does, you know, you can come at it that, that philosophically. The first thing that, that is helpful to people is to name the feeling that someone's having or to name the feeling you're having. Wow, wow, buddy, you look so angry right now. You know, just naming the feeling. There's robust data that says when we name a feeling, either in ourselves or if somebody names the feeling validly that, are in, that is inside us, our limbic system shuts down. Our reptilian brain goes offline and our higher brain comes online. So knowing feelings is very, very important. Um, so are you sad? Are you mad? Are you happy giddy? Are you frustrated? Are you worried? Are you scared? You look so blah, 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 blah. And so that's what you do is you try to locate the feeling and name it. And here's the next step. It's kind of, that's A1. Now here is, I'm sorry, that's 1A. Now here 1B is wait. Let it sink in. Even though the kid is ripping the wallpaper off, you look really, really mad right now, baby. Wait until that can register. Some people process things slowly. You can repeat it. You can say it with huge patience and compassion. Oh, you're so mad. You're so, you, can, you can chant it. Just state it and hope that it gets in. That's point the first. The second thing, and, and again, you can be quite mad at a kid that's having a meltdown or humiliated or frustrated, regardless, after you've named the feeling and you've waited for it to penetrate, you then say you sympathize. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. In other words, you know, it's, it's tough to be you right now. I, oh man, I'm, I have so much compassion for you is basically what you want to say. Even if you're ticked off and you're worried that the kid is 
You're so mad. How many times do we have to have this meltdown? Might be the thing you're thinking, but you're still sorry that he's feeling it. That's your baby that's feeling upset. So I'm sorry. You look really, really frustrated right now. Wait. I'm so sorry you're feeling frustrated. That's step 2A. Step 2B is wait. This takes a long time. By that time, just because you've given yourself the pauses, you start. it can usually calm you down too. You look really mad. I'm so sorry. Wait. Now, the third step is, a, so, so in terms of a DIR profile now, we have done things that are helping the kid to calm down. We've stated some feelings and some empathy. You're not alone. Then the next thing that we're going to say is a problem-solving phase where you say, gee, I wonder what we can do about it. Again, you're not going to say, you know, really, really stop to think about the worst meltdown or the way that a parent might handle it is, is not doing these three things. You say, um, you, you misname the feeling. Cut, be, cut out being such a jerk. I've told you a million times. You know, not only have you not named the feeling, you have not waited, and you are, not, you are, you are the opposite of sympathetic. Okay, so that's what we usually do. When we melt down because somebody else is melting down, you are not sympathetic and you don't name the right feeling. All right. But once you have named the right feeling and you sympathize, you can then get to problem-solving mode. The child's problem-solving is usually more, their ideas are more effective than yours, but people in a meltdown don't do their best thinking, you know? So they are maybe thinking, my mom really gets this, my dad really gets this, the babysitter really gets this, and they are even on my side, is maybe what's penetrating. Well, that calms you down enough to get into problem-solving mode. If you say, I wonder what we could do about it, and then wait, the kid might go, well, if you tied my shoes for me, that might work. You know, then that would give you a hint that that was, you were asking something to do. But if the kid says something lame brain, like, well, you know, you could get my little brother out of the house so I could have some peace and quiet. Again, you can go back to sympathizing. I know that would be a solution. I wish we, I wish I could do something that was that easy. But if you, if the kid can't come up with a solution, if the kid cannot come up with his or her own solution, which is usually the case, we come up with, I wonder if I just sat you down and gave you a big hug, and then we went in and we, we got a snack. I wonder if that would help. Now again, the kid might say, no, that wouldn't help. But again, he's heard your solution go like, well, you can keep persisting. You can say, well, we'll figure out something that works. You give the kid hope. Now guess who's calmed down? Everybody's calmed down. You've calmed down. Maybe the kid hasn't calmed down on the outside, but you then kind of repeat those steps. And, and you can, you know, I, I had one dad uh, once that the, the meltdowns were so big that the child had to be put into his room and the door had to be closed because these, we all know those kinds of meltdowns. And, and he said, I would sit by the door. I would sit down in front of the door for two reasons, to keep my child in his room, but also to let him know I was here and I sympathize. And he said, this was a kid who liked, um, uh, liked coloring and and would calm him down eventually. So he said, what I would do is I would sit by the door going, I know this is hard, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, what could we do, what could we do? He said to go through the three steps and finally the little voice would come out and say, put the crayons under the door. <laughs> and he would push, you know, he would push crayons and colored paper and pencil under the door 
and then he knew it was okay. Because the, and, and then he would compliment him on the brilliance of it. You know, that's, I guess, the silent fourth step is the kid, the kid says something reasonable finally. Um, you know, I, I, well, why don't we, will you read me a story now instead of cooking dinner? And you go, yeah, absolutely I will. You know, you don't worry that you're not going to cook dinner. You're happy that the melts. And so that's another key is like, even though during those times we're trying to get dinner on the table, we're trying to get somebody in the bath, we're trying to put a Band-Aid on a cut, we're trying to get the dog to go out back cleaning up, blah, 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 blah. And the kid gives you a solution that, that you, since you have identified the problem and you have even got an idea of why the meltdown occurred, what if the kid was just asking for special attention and you have too many kids, too many dogs, too many chores, and you just go, but he's asking for a story to be read. I think I'll be a neglectful parent in all the other ways to do this. That's okay, that's good. Then the kid feels hurt, he's willing to go on. You know, that's the dream so that's the dream scenario is that the, the, the not dream scenario is you do those three steps and it doesn't work and you keep doing them and it doesn't work and finally time goes by and it's a new day. You know, the other thing to remember is no, no feeling is final. No meltdown is your final state. Something's going to change. To get that, if you get the whole system calmed down, the thinking can come back online. And <clears throat> I mean, some... If, if you're talking about really young children, they might not even have the capacity to problem solve and you're more or less just staying in those first two stages where you're with them, you're empathizing. That's a great point. Comforting Darling. them. But you, you do, you know, if, if it's a newborn baby or a baby with colic or a baby or, or a child that has very, very bad uh, auditory capacity, they're not communicating at all yet. They're not at that level. They're just getting dysregulated. Doing those three steps is good for the parent. You know, mm -hmm. maybe the baby only understands your tone of voice or your sympathetic stance, or it doesn't understand the word anger. You do it for yourself, my sweetie. And think of what we do to babies. We don't, those babies don't understand a word we're saying, and yet we are sympathizing with them. We are naming the problem and we are doing you know, you just need a nice walk outside, don't you, baby doll? That baby didn't understand anything, but you did, and you were thinking, and you got your frontal lobes back online, and you got your limbic system turned down. You calm yourself down by saying even like, oh, everything I'm trying, and I still haven't got the solution for you, helps you, the caregiver. Talk to yourself. Be your own best friend. Nobody's there to co-regulate you, so you've got to do that trick of co-regulating yourself in your mind. You know, what would Albert Einstein say? What would Stanley Greenspan say? You know, <laughs> how often have I said that to myself um, since he's passed away? Well, he's co-regulating me. His ideas are co-regulating me. So I, I, it's, it's a very, very difficult process, but if we're not our own best friends, we don't get much much done in the in the and the first developmental capacity of, of regulation. Um, and it's, it's so desperately important for us. Um, just think of ourselves as adults getting bad news and how some people can get bad news and they, they understand their process and they know they're gonna live right through it, you know, or, or, or what. So no feeling is final is another, is another thing. Um, um, there's a wonderful poem that actually that comes from Maria Reina Rilke, if anybody geeks out on that. And he was a, a German mystic, I think, 
But anyway, he wrote wonderful poetry, and the last four lines of one of my favorite poems that he ever wrote is, uh, let everything happen to you. Let everything happen to you. In other words, be open to every experience. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. In other words, accept every feeling as it comes. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Is, that is the most encouraging four lines. I have it written in my office where I can see it, nobody else can, because it inspires me, and it inspires me in terms of regulation, in terms of never giving up the fight for that. Um, now, how many times, Daria, have we heard parents who, who are beginning to, beginning to embrace the DIR model saying the gifts were hidden in it? I know myself better because of it, and I know my child, you know, uh, uh, some, some parents who have, for example, one child on the spectrum and another child or children not, and they'll say invariably, I know my, my child that I did DIR with so differently, so differently. I wish I could have done it with everybody, or I wish, you know, or then they start doing it with everybody, and then everything gets a little bit better, a little clearer. So it's good stuff for parents. It's good stuff for kids. Yeah, and and I imagine also if if you're just at your rope's end, sometimes it's even probably better to just step out of the room and take a few minutes to yourself and then come back, even though the child might feel neglected in that minute, if you're losing it, it's yes. probably better than taking it out on the child. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if everybody is physically safe and you can exit the situation, oftentimes... What does that do? First of all, everybody's safe. That's the most important thing. Secondly, it gives you time to regulate yourself, get your internal co-regulators going. And then sometimes, remember, children are psychic and they pick up on our energy. You walk back in that room with completely different energy. And so it's a kind of a win-win. I, I uh, had a colleague at one time who... Um, uh, worked with children with uh, Tourette's, Tourette's disorder, and this was before medication was, was useful, and she said she would always tell her clients to have a, locked, a, lock, a, locked, a lock on the bathroom door, a candle, and a bottle of wine in the cupboard, and some bubble bath, because if you had to change your own regulation, there, were, there would be something special in that bathroom for you beyond just, you know, just, just, just the quiet and the solitude that it brings. So, um, Timing yourself out, definitely. If you can do it with everybody being safe, that's a nice thing to do for yourself. That's and, um, and let's talk a little bit about how, how that really does help the child when our regulation is back on track and we're calm and we're, like you said, you bring a different energy. Um, how does that then help the child? Well, along with your different energy, um, there comes better thoughts, so you can be a better problem solver. But let's just stay right with the energy piece a little bit. Um, one of the most robust findings in, um, in uh, all of psychology is the ability for pets to lower our blood pressure. Um, so if, uh, if you have a dog and you just go over and pat the dog, you, you, know, you can have this really nice, nice uh, you know, blood pressure change. So if, if you really have gone in to your time out and have really regulated yourself better, there's something about our species that mirrors the regulation of other people. You know, it, 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 
you, when you see a dog slobbering all over you and trying to get physical comfort from you and you calm down, that's because we're mirroring. If you don't like dogs, this doesn't work. But, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't bring your favorite rat or cockroach in the room to calm yourself down. You know, you, you sit there with, a, with something that's appealing to you and you start, you know. So if you walk back in that room with different energy, your child, being a human, is going to pick up on the vibe, so to speak, and it's just going to get a little out of it. Whether he lets you know, she lets you know or not, she's dealing with a different human being, and so that's going to be good. You know, I always used to laugh at myself. Um... We used to go visit my grandmother every weekend, and um, she could she could make my dad do things like take us out for ice cream. You know, he would he would just go, "Okay, mom, I'll take them." You know, it's like, "Nana, we want to go to Dairy Queen. Make dad take us to Dairy Queen." And she'd go, "James, you take these children to Dairy Queen." It would be so much fun to see his mood change completely and be and be happy to take us there because his mother told him to. I just love that. <laughs> we use that to our benefit. But we all regulate each other. We all change the mood of other people, and we do it with our own mood. You know people can change the energy of a room. You just know that they can. So let them do that, and, and be your own Nana. Be your own person that can go in there and say, you're the best parent in the world, and I'm the only parent that has this kid's back. Self-talk yourself uh, you know, in, into something. Have your own, have your own beautiful moment with yourself and and be your own best friend and go in there and give yourself a good night by giving your kids a good night or a good hell hour and and certainly there will always be people that do feel at their rope's end there was a story that came out of the maritimes in canada of parents of a nine-year-old boy who had broken his nose a few times i possibly broken the mother's nose um was so violent and aggressive and they literally don't know what to do yeah. and there i i mean <clears throat> all you can really do is is ask for help i think because a lot of times it can be easy to get into your own dark world and no one really knows what's happening and so um i encourage people that do have chronic problems with this to seek help and seek the services Absolutely. that are out there. Absolutely. You know, they, they say that um, uh, one of the one way to look at effective psychotherapy, talk therapy, is to change to change your own history, to come up with a different a different story that you can live with that relieves you of guilt, that gives you more encouragement. You know, anytime you're talking with anybody that's anxious and you kind of change the way you look at their history you know some some parents will come in there and say i'm the worst person in the world i'm a terrible parent i caused autism they're blaming themselves and and you can say well you know who i'm looking at is one of the most heroic people i know a parent of a kid with autism um who's fighting the fight every day and you know it just can change their whole attitude and of course it's quite a sincere statement on my part um um, uh, you know, everybody's allowed to make mistakes and have a bad day. Um, I remember one one parent told me um, his kid was going through that phase of enjoying turning light bulbs on and off. A light, you know, so he'd find a light switch and go on, off, on, off. And he said, I'd be home, I'd pick up the paper, I'd be sitting and I'd be reading a news story, or I'd be doing a crossword puzzle, and he'd go over there and start flicking the lights. And I asked him, well, what do you know what to do? And he said, well, I feel if I stay there reading the paper, 
because I can read the paper with flicking lights. I've learned how to do that. Um, I'm a bad dad, and maybe if I go over there and help him not flick the lights on and off, I, I've ruined, I've, I've missed the moment where I could have made a difference. It was that level of guilt. And so getting that dad to see that there's no one make or break moment that we know of, it's, it's more or less your attitude and, and taking care of yourself in the evening while your son is actually enjoying the moment of flicking the lights on and off, you may go over and join him in that joy or you may stay in your own bubble so that you can enjoy the rest of the evening with him having done the crossword puzzle. To him, that was a, a complete attitude shift and he was allowed then to take the moments when he went and joined his kid as he was flicking the lights on and off and trying to make a reciprocal game out of it. Uh, well, well, of course, he thought he had to stop him from doing it. And of course, you know, us floor time therapists, we went, oh, no, it's fun to flick the lights on and off. We can join that and see, you know, see where he's going with it. It was a big moment for him. That was a big moment to let the guilt go and see yourself in a different light. And that's what good psychotherapy can do for you um, to find out what part of this you're making harder on yourself by not being your own best friend. And, and another thing um, I've found is that if you are in the moment and trying to do something, whether it's reading the paper or maybe something more serious, like in the middle of a, a meeting or a phone call or right. talking to a therapist about an upcoming appointment, um, <clears throat> I found that if you know in advance that you're going to be doing something like that, and you give your child extra attention and play, and it's almost like um, feeding the hunger before the hunger gets there. It's the attachment hunger, as as Dr. Newfeld will say. You you fill them up with that attachment so that you can then take the break, and and they're um, a child who might otherwise be needing that attention from you um, might be more relaxed to do what they're doing while you need to do what you do. Well, that's a good, it's a good start. And, and again, the, the, I'm glad that that works for you and it works for many, many people, Daria. I mean, that's not, that's not, that's not, not brilliant. That is brilliant to really think it through. Um, but everybody's different too. So having your own, now here's where it gets into a whole other topic really is that uh, electronics are um, dangerous because they're habit forming and also in the short run, extremely effective when you're having an emergency. And then, of course, once you open the Pandora's box of here is the iPad, taking the iPad away then becomes a meltdown, blah, 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 blah. And um, you know how that sequence goes. But, yeah, I think that's very good advice is to find out those things. And I would uh, urge people to, to do that. It's find those things that will help you when, when you really, really have these important things that don't need interruptions to happen during them. And, of course, um, uh, in a way, if you preview your day with all those luxurious moments in the tub as you begin the day as a parent of an autistic kid, you know, that's, I know it's ludicrous to say, but if you really plan the day out and figure, well, where are the things that are liable, are liable to throw us off the rails, then that's going to help at least a little bit and sometimes a whole lot to make that day easy breezy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I remember, um, Sometimes what I would tell my kids is, is here's, here's an opportunity for you to make me very, very happy. And I will show my happiness in so many ways. You know, I would never have to come through with what I was going to really do that was going to be so good. 
but I really need to talk to the doctor when he calls, you know, so here it comes. If I could prepare them that way, invariably, I got incredible cooperation on their part because I basically bought them. Um, you know, it's okay to use bribery at times um, uh, for those big, 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 big moments. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very complicated world, but yes. Okay, well, I think we've covered a lot of bases here today, and I wanted to thank you so much for being with us and encourage parents to read the blog post accompanying this podcast. And there will be links in there to some of the things that we've mentioned. And if you have any comments or stories to share, to add them in the comments section. And um, is there anything else you wanted to add before we, we go? Um, well, I want to thank you very much for, for having me on the podcast. It's a great privilege. And I just wish to shout out to all the parents out there that are listening that uh, I encourage you and I admire you and keep in touch through Affect Autism. It's a really good website. It's a really good service. So go Affect Autism, go parents. That's what <laughs> I say. Thank you so much, Dr. Platzman. And until next week, here's to Affecting Autism.